Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You may have heard this term cyanide bomb recently, and I have to tell you, this was a new one for me as well. But with a little bit of research, I discovered that it's an extremely cruel and indiscriminate method for killing wild animals with the stated purpose of protecting livestock herds. So what exactly is a cyanide bomb? How and where is it currently used? And why is it in the news now? I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Colette Adkins. She's Carnivore Conservation Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. Welcome to the program, Colette. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Colette, let's begin with what is a cyanide bomb and when did it come into use? Well, these devices are registered by the Environmental Protection Agency because they include a poison, um, sodium cyanide. It's placed in as a powder form in this metal tube that's pounded into the ground, and it's on the top is a, a baited trigger. And anything that comes up and pulls on the trigger gets shot with this deadly sodium cyanide powder mm. that uh, combines with you know, moisture in the air and in the mouth to um, create this uh, awful poison that leads to fairly quick death. They've been used for decades, and the EPA just recently first reauthorized and then withdrew its reauthorization, uh, we think, in response to public outcry. Yes, I'd like to discuss that in a minute. But first, just so we can all get a better understanding of these devices, cyanide bombs, can you tell us what animals are they designed to kill? And are they effective in doing that? And what are the problems with their use? So they're designed to kill canids. So wolves, foxes, coyotes, uh, wild dogs. And the problem with these devices, though, is that anything that that pulls on them or even really uh, touches the top uh, sets off that trigger that shoots the, the deadly um, sodium cyanide poison. So what we've seen is lots of non-target deaths and injuries. A couple of years ago, there's a very tragic incident where a teenage boy was out walking with his dog on the public lands just um, behind his own backyard on a hill that kind of overlooked his yard. And he reached down, uh, thought it was a sprinkler head, and thought, well, that's odd. And then um, it exploded. Uh, he was temporarily blinded, and he watched his dog um, die right in front of him. Mm. And the so that made a lot of news because of the 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 child could have been killed but the death of the his dog also tragic isn't uncommon every year um, dogs are killed by these devices because they're attracted to the bait just like a coyote or other canid would so many companion animals are harmed by these many non-target animals are harmed by cyanide bombs do these devices permit cyanide to enter the environment or the food web well, luckily, the cyanide does break down pretty quickly into something that uh, is on, um, not harmful. So we don't have the lasting impacts like we do with some other poisons that are used uh, for animal control, like rodenticides. And so when an animal gets sprayed, how long and painful is their death? 
it really depends on how squarely the poison hits the animal in the face. Mm-hmm. So sometimes death is just within a few moments, but other times there'll just be an injury that doesn't lead to death, but um, can lead to a you know, lifetime of suffering where the animal wouldn't be as effective as, you know, it could be blinded, for example, mm-hmm. and then slowly starve to death or get exposed to the elements. Uh, it really does depend on how square of a hit the the animal receives. You know, either way, though, what we're so concerned about is the very indiscriminate nature. Right. And, you know, anything that pulls on it could be killed or harmed. And because the animals, even that are targeted, wolves, coyotes, foxes, they play such important ecological roles on our environment. We just think that they shouldn't be targeted, period. That's right. So, Colette, let's speak more generally about this ongoing issue of protecting ranchers' herds from predatory wildlife and the federal government's involvement in that arena. What do the ranchers claim and what do they want? Well, most of this killing is on behalf of the agriculture industry. So, We've got a lot of um, outspoken and uh, fairly well-funded groups like Wool Growers Association and Cattlemen's Association that um, continue to seek to have these devices used and other uh, devices by this federal wildlife killing agency called Wildlife Services. What is Wildlife Services? So this is a federal program under the Department of Agriculture, and they are tasked with reducing these conflicts with wildlife. What they do is kill uh, more than a million native animals each year, uh, largely carnivores like coyotes because of impacts to um, livestock operators. Back in 2018, the program killed nearly 1.5 million native animals. Mm. So we're talking about 68,000 coyotes, hundreds of wolves, hundreds of thousands of uh, birds, including over 500,000 red-winged blackbirds, black bears, mountain lions, bobcats, otters, beaver, muskrat, all of these animals that just make our world a more interesting place to live, but also play such important ecological roles, are killed really primarily just so that the agriculture industry can increase their profits. Wildlife Services uses uh, all sorts of methods to kill wildlife, um, many of which are recognized internationally as as inhumane and cruel, like leg hold traps, strangulation snares, mm. poisons, um, like the snide night bombs that we've talked about, aerial gunning where they shoot animals from helicopters or planes. The big problem with this program is that there are so many non-lethal ways to address these conflicts. And in fact, non-lethal measures are almost always going to be uh, more effective and even uh, less costly in the long run. So take, for example, a a livestock operator that's losing losses of, let's say, their their lambs to coyotes. Well, if uh, Wildlife Services just keeps coming in and and killing a coyote, but nothing has changed about the the livestock operator's practices, we're just going to have this ongoing cycle of killing and, and no improvement. But if the operator would change its practices by putting in guard dogs, 
or sensing or having like motion sensing lights or uh, sounds that would scare away predators good animal husbandry like bringing in the um the animals when they're calving or lambing you know there's just so you know cleaning up the body lots of times these operators will you know let's say a cow uh dies they just leave it out on the landscape and then that uh, attracts um predators as well so there's so many things that can be done to prevent these conflicts uh but instead this agency because it's subsidized by the government becomes this very easy um sort of band-aid where they just call up this the 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 killing team who comes in and kills the coyote but before we know it uh, another animal moves in and the problems uh, persist yeah wildlife slaughter goes unabated colette how is your organization trying to rein in wildlife services well, there's so many different ways that we're trying to get at the agency. Certainly, public pressure is part of it, but also through the court system. Just uh, here in um, late August, we filed a lawsuit against Wildlife Services for their killing in Northern California. Our lawsuit seeks additional environmental analysis under the National Environmental Policy Act. The last time they analyzed the environmental impacts of their program was back in the 1990s. Since then, there's been so much science that really has disproven the the basic premise of their program that you know, the only good predator is a dead one. Mm -hmm. We've got science that shows how important these animals are and how effective alternatives to killing them can be. So we're hoping that through our lawsuit, we'll get a new analysis that will help shape the program in a in a better direction. And in the meantime, until they comply with federal law, we're hoping to get restrictions on some of the most damaging and harmful methods. Earlier this month, we announced a victory with a similar lawsuit that we brought against Wildlife Services in Wyoming. And they agreed to lots of changes in their program, including a ban on cyanide bombs on all Forest Service lands in Wyoming. And that's uh, amounting to uh, 10 million acres now in Wyoming that won't um, have these cyanide bombs. So we're hopeful that these ongoing uh, pieces of litigation will help uh, spark change as well. Wow, good job. Realistically, Colette, how big a problem is this of wild animals killing and bothering other animals being raised for the food supply? You know, there is a, it's a very small percentage of livestock operators that do experience losses. And they're usually ones that, like I uh, said, have you know, just practices that aren't deterring predation. Or they're in areas where they really shouldn't be raising livestock, like in, in a very prime uh, wolf habitat, for example. Lots of times what we see is that it's the same handful of uh, ranches that are being uh, have these problems year after year. And we've got an example up in in Washington where I think it's like 85% of the wolves that have been killed in the state have been because of one livestock operator. Um, and he is in this place that's just densely forested, absolutely prime wolf habitat. And he hasn't allowed uh, any of these non-lethal methods that have been proven effective, like uh, range riders, basically modern-day cowboys, which would be a way to actually prevent having to uh, kill wolves to protect his livestock. 
After the break, we're going to continue our discussion with Colette Atkins, and we have some very encouraging news to share with you. So don't go away. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today. Thank you for listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals, now in our 11th year of consecutive weekly broadcasts. Animals Today is brought to you by the Animal Welfare Organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org and consider making a donation to help support the show. That's aianimals.org. And thank you for your interest and your support. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Colette Adkins with the Center for Biological Diversity. Colette, let's go back to these cyanide bombs and understand why they are in the news at this time. As I understand it, the EPA, under the current administration in August, reauthorized the use of the cyanide devices. Why is that notable? And haven't there been reauthorizations under prior administrations? Our organization, the Center for Biological Diversity and some partners submitted a petition to the EPA and we asked that the agency cancel cyanide bombs because of the risk to people, endangered wildlife, their pets, and and, uh, and because of really that we just don't think that these lethal methods are an adequate way to deal with conflicts with wildlife. Well, the EPA responded and said that they would go through this formal registration review process. And at the end of that, they did decide to uh, reauthorize the devices on an interim basis. But that was really frustrating to us because they opened up a public comment period on this proposal. 99.9% of the commenters asked EPA to ban the devices. Only 10 comments were submitted asking the agency to renew their use and those were primarily from agriculture industry groups like the Cattlemen's Association or the Wool Growers Association, for example. So despite all this public outrage and the availability of more effective and cost-efficient uh, alternatives that are also more humane, the agency just went ahead and did what industry asked. But there, upon that reauthorization, there was just tons of media coverage and uh and a lot of outrage, especially when you've got the story of a you know a teenager almost dying mm-hmm. and all these family animals being killed, the EPA then the following week uh, withdrew that decision. And that's fantastic news. That's really big. Yeah, it is pretty big. There's. It's really just a sign that hopefully we'll get something uh, better out of the agency. But the agency didn't cancel the devices. Instead, what the agency did was just not renew it. So they're still being used while the agency is taking another look. We're hopeful that at the end of that analysis, the agency will ultimately decide to cancel them. But that's not where we're at now. But the prior administrations have reauthorized its use. So this is the first time in a decade or two, at least we're on the right track, correct? 
Yeah, that's right. And I really think it is a result of advocacy from wildlife organizations and from even the family of that uh, teenage boy who was injured. There's been a lot of attention to these devices and, and really how dangerous they are. And I think the public's just getting fed up and really have been outspoken in contacting their you know, representatives, contacting the EPA, contacting APHIS Wildlife Services and and letting all those folks uh, know that we just don't want those devices to be used anymore. And a big, big thanks to you and your organization, the Center for Biological Diversity. I know you guys had a letter writing campaign along with the Wildlife Earth Guardians. So thank you very much. I know that was instrumental in making this happen. Well, I appreciate that, and I also appreciate you covering this issue because it's really only when people find out about it and get outraged that we're going to get this long-term change. Now, I have to say the Trump administration's record on environmental protection and animal welfare has not been very good so far, but this is a surprisingly positive development, especially since I mentioned before, there's been reauthorizations under prior administrations. So this is potentially one really great thing the Trump administration's doing for our animals and the environment, wouldn't you say? Yeah, this is a positive development for sure. And absolutely, we were shocked and surprised yeah. uh, because, every, you know, we this Trump has been such an enemy to the environment. And when I saw this news come out, I, I I actually had to go to the EPA's own webpage and confirm that the press release was posted there. So what are your goals at this time? And what is the role for citizens at this time? And how can our listeners help? Yeah, so our goal is to get a permanent nationwide ban on cyanide bombs. So that could be accomplished by EPA, canceling the poison. It could be accomplished by wildlife services deciding not to use them anymore because they're the the number one user of cyanide bombs. Or it could be accomplished through federal legislation. Uh, there are uh, bills out there to ban cyanide bombs or even state-level bans. So just last year, Oregon passed a state-level ban. So there's a lot of different ways we could get to our ultimate goal. And what we need folks to do is to speak to their representatives in terms of the the federal legislation, speaking out to their congresspersons and letting them know that they want these devices banned, but also reaching out to the EPA and um, encouraging them at the end of their uh, review to indeed cancel use of cyanide bombs. Carnivore Conservation Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, Colette Adkins, Thank you for explaining this to us, and thank you for all your great work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. More with Animals Today, right after the break. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? 
Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Hi, it's Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and here's your Animals Today Minute. Xylitol is a sweetener that is commonly used in sugar-free gum and candy, toothpaste, mouthwash, baked goods, and chewable vitamins. Xylitol is safe for humans, but can be extremely toxic to dogs. Luckily, cats do not seem to be interested in eating foods with xylitol. But in dogs, even small amounts of xylitol can cause hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar, seizures, liver failure, and even death. The effects can appear as quickly as 10 minutes after ingestion. If your dog has eaten a xylitol-containing item, bring him or her to your veterinarian or emergency animal hospital immediately, even if there's no symptoms yet. He or she should be monitored there for 12 to 24 hours just to be safe. Also, please be aware that some nut butters now have xylitol as an added ingredient, so check your labels. And of course, don't let your dogs get at your chewing gum and mints. These are serious dangers, causing the FDA to release a consumer alert on the risks to dogs, which you can read at fda.gov slash consumer. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner with your Animals Today Minute for the day. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back. So imagine you are walking your 12-year-old schnauzer in your, in your own neighborhood, and, uh, and look, there's a new tenant in a home that you usually walk by every day. And in the yard, you see an 80-pound, mean-looking, barking, growling dog who probably could push right through the fence or the gate if he wanted. It's like trouble waiting to happen. So with us to talk about this is attorney Ken Phillips. He is universally acknowledged as the top dog bite legal practitioner in the U.S. And go to dogbitelaw.com to learn more about him and all his interests. This topic of trying to preemptively avoid trouble was suggested actually by Ken as a good topic for you guys, our audience. So uh, let's find out why. Welcome, Ken. Hey, Peter. It's great to be back. Okay, so there's my little schnauzer trouble waiting to happen. Is that the sort of thing you had in mind uh, bringing up this topic? Oh, boy, there are so many things uh, about this topic. We, we all are, when we go out, we've all seen the situation where there's somebody who can't control their dog or there's a dog that is, is hurling itself at the fence as we go by, we have the right to be safe on the street, and we also have the right to feel like we're safe when we take our walk in our neighborhood. 
And yes, this is a problem in, for a lot of people. There are areas where animal control has kind of, they're overwhelmed or they just don't consider it a priority. And, and there are cities that are swarming with dogs on the street. So it, it is a problem for a lot of people. So, uh, okay, we're familiar with sort of uh, roaming dogs and dogs in packs are just, uh, but that's really not our concern right now. Let's focus on you've got an owner who is being a bad citizen or just irresponsible. What sort of uh, things do you see there and what can we do to start addressing it? I think there are several things that can be done. Uh, and, it, and it's all about writing, writing a letter and, and being a, uh, a local citizen. You need to write a letter to animal control. Okay. And that could even mean the head of the animal control. You can make it a, a brief letter, but you should mention what is going on so that there is a record. You should demand that the owners be cited for anything that is that, that anything you're seeing that is dangerous or that constitutes cruelty. Under some circumstances, you might even be uh, justified in saying that the animal control uh, department needs to consider conducting a dangerous dog hearing because of how the dogs have acted and how irresponsible the dog owners are. So you can, you can start with animal control. If the person is a tenant, you can inform the owner of the property that there is a dog that is, uh, you know, it's breaking out, it's getting through the fence, uh, it's threatening people, that type of thing, because uh, a person, anybody who owns property has to keep the property free of uh, dangerous conditions. And, and a dangerous or vicious dog is a dangerous condition. There are other practical things that you can do. Uh, one of my recommendations is to keep a fire extinguisher by the, by the door so that if something does happen and the dog gets out, the dog does actually attack somebody or attack you, you have some way of defending yourself, and a fire extinguisher is a very, very good way of doing it. Oh, okay. It doesn't, doesn't hurt the dog. Uh, it scares them, uh, and it works with all kinds of, of, of vicious dogs. So that, that is, that's one place to start with the, with the letters, with the physical protection. Sometimes you've got to go further. Sometimes you, you actually have to prod the local representatives to push the animal control department to uh, take more action against uh, dangerous dogs that are in your neighborhood. So uh, you, you have to uh, address this as a concerned citizen, and you also have to address it on an individual level and protect yourself. Now, you've used the term dangerous dog and vicious dog. There are, there are definitions of dangerous dog, potentially dangerous dog, vicious dog, and potentially vicious dog. And those definitions uh, are in the law. But it basically boils down to this. A vicious dog is a dog that has indicated a desire or has had a history of uh, biting humans. That's, that would be a vicious dog. A dangerous dog is a dog that has behaved in a dangerous manner like it plays too rough or it likes to jump on people. Yeah. That's dangerous because of, because of the potential of injury, but it's not vicious. Okay. 
So let's say uh, you want to contact animal control or the police if they are in charge of this as your first step. And you've advised us to do it in writing. So do you need to sign this letter or can it be anonymous? Maybe you don't want to put your name down in, in writing. I would not, if I were in their position, I wouldn't pay too much attention to any kind of an anonymous, uh, any kind of an anonymous communication. So you, you should be able to complain in writing to public officials without them revealing who the complainant is, because that is a privilege of uh, law enforcement that they do not have to reveal their sources. So yeah, I would say that you're probably stuck uh, if you want to be effective, yeah. but perhaps you should ask them to not disclose it. I, I've never, you know what? It's interesting. You're the first person who's ever asked me about that. <laughs> well, okay. So the letter is, is submitted. What can you expect? I guess it depends uh, where you are. It depends where you are, because if you're in a small town, that's one thing. If you're in a big city like Los Angeles, it's going to be another you generally, it, and, and also it depends on who you're sending the letter to, because, because I'm saying to send it to the animal control authorities and also to send it to whoever owns the property, if, if, if we're talking about a tenant. So it, it just depends on, on who it is that you're sending it to. Yeah. So in your experience, and I know you uh, uh, represent uh, clients on, on all sides of the law, what cases come your way that have to do with this issue where, uh, where someone might have predicted this is trouble waiting to happen, and then it does? It, it, it comes up in so many ways. I've had death cases where the, where the uh, let's say the dog has killed the person, and it was obvious that that would happen someday. And it, it comes up uh, because the first thing I see in a case like that is a criminal prosecution. I always say to people, if you have a dog that bites, you better watch it because you could end up in three different courts. The civil court, you can get sued. Criminal court, you can get prosecuted. And if you try to declare bankruptcy, you could end up, you can end up in bankruptcy court. They won't give you your bankruptcy. Yeah, and also, you know what? Your dog can end up in dog court yeah. because your dog will be taken away mm. for good reason. So, so you know, it's, a, it's important for people to understand what the consequences can be because uh, you know, they can be very, very severe. But I also uh, have seen it, and, it, and it's a very important uh, – it's very important – in states where they do not have a great law, like in California and in two-thirds of the states, in most of the states, like California, we have a strict liability dog bite statute. And, and what I mean by that is that the first bite is not free in you know, two-thirds of the states. But in the one-third of states, where they don't have the strict liability statute, you have to show that there's some type of a uh, of negligence on the part of the dog owner, or that the dog has uh, uh, violated the animal control laws. In other words, the dog has been out roaming around, or the dog, the owner uh, walks the dog without a leash. Yeah. So the the knowledge on the part of the owner 
or the handler of the dog that the dog is dangerous or, or vicious is important in, in those situations because otherwise you cannot recover for uh, a personal injury or for property damage. I think that uh, the, the issue of, of dangerous dogs is awfully important because you have the potential for injury not only to people, but also injury to other animals. I have seen that, uh, that dogs that attack other people's dogs are a danger to people because it is, a, it is a natural human, almost an instinct, I would say, to protect your dog. And so, so when a person has a dog that likes to go after other dogs, that's an accident waiting to happen involving a person. Got it. Got it. Okay, Ken Phillips, uh, where can people find you? They can find me at dogbitelaw.com, which is my website. It's like an encyclopedia. It's got, indeed, at this point, more than a thousand sections of information about dogs and the law. Thank you very much for coming on with us again. It was my pleasure. More with animals today after the break. Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. As temperatures climb, please remember never to leave your dog in the car, even for just a minute. Because even with the windows cracked and your car parked in the shade, the temperature inside can climb up in a matter of minutes, high enough to kill your pet. If you love your dog, leave him at home where it's cool and comfortable. And if you see a dog or other pet in a car, you may only have a minute to save their life. Here are a couple steps you can take. Make an announcement in the store or business that cars parked nearest to. Also, call the police department or animal control right away. Remember, it only takes a minute or two for a dog to get seriously ill or die in a car on a warm day. So swift action can save a life. Dogs are unable to cool themselves the way people can. So never leave a dog or any animal inside a car on a warm day, not even for a minute. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. Here's a question for you. What do game show host Bob Barker, actress Tippi Hedren, journalist and author Jane Velez Mitchell, and rock legend Paul Rogers all have in common? That's right. Each one has been a guest on Animals Today. In fact, people from all walks of life, like scientists, lawyers, dog and cat rescuers, and whale protectors, have shared their views and described their work on behalf of animals on the show. So keep up on the latest and most important animal news and issues from around the world each week right here. Make sure to join the discussion on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And of course, I welcome your ideas and suggestions. So feel free to contact me at Dr. Lori, that's D-R-L-O-R-I, at animalstodayradio.com. See you next time. Okay, so now, Peter, I have a little surprise for you. Okay, great. Lightning round quiz. Oh, boy. Remember we did this about a month ago? It, was, s- it was a surprise then, too, I you think. You scored like 50%. I gave you a C minus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out okay. of sympathy. <laughs> 
listeners are going to play along, see if they can do better than Peter. You know, I didn't tell you this, but my, my brother likes to play along, too, in Colorado. Oh. Yeah. He says he does better than I do. So let's see how he does on this one. Okay, okay. Rob. Me versus Rob and the world. And my 14-year-old nephew, Gabriel, is going to play along. Oh, and really? He's going to score better than you as well. It's not that hard. Okay, ready, Rob? Ready, Gabriel? Here we go. What name is given to an adult female sheep? Oh, boy. And a you? Very good. Which English word derives from the ancient Greek words meaning cycle or circle of little animals? Wow. Um, don't know. Zodiac. <sighs> what kind of dog breed was Scooby-Doo? He was, oh boy, he was a hound. He was a Scooby-Doo, is, he, was, he still is, uh, a, don't know. <laughs> a Great Dane. Oh, really? What name is given to the small crustaceans that make up most of the diet of the blue whale? They are, um, plankton? Krill. Krill, that's right, shrimp. In The Wizard of Oz, what was the name of Dorothy's little dog? That was Toto. What is the slowest animal in the world? Is a sloth. Very good. Three-toed sloth. Jim Davis was the creator of a lazy and greedy cat that annoys his owner. What was the yep. cat's name? Garfield. Yep. What was the animal that starred in a comedy trio with Goofy and Mickey? Oh, what was the animal? Pluto. Donald Duck. Oh, okay. Do I get partial credit for Pluto? No. Oh, why? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. What was Donald's fiance's name? Hmm. Uh, Daisy. Very good. Which bird is the universal symbol of peace? The dove. Right. Which large marine mammals are sometimes known as sea cows? Sea cows are manatees. Yes. In which country are lemurs found in nature? In Indonesia? Madagascar. Oh, yeah. Which intelligent medium-sized mammal native to North America has extremely dexterous front paws and a distinctive facial mask? The raccoon. Yes. Which farm animal comes out top in intelligence tests? The pig. Yep. What type of leaves does a koala use for food? Eucalyptus. That's correct. What kind of animals were Tom and Jerry in the Tom and Jerry cartoons? Oh, they were mouses. <laughs> no, is that wrong? Either? That's wrong. Okay. Tom was the cat. Jerry was a mouse. Oh, oh, did, oh, did you not watch that? I, for some reason, I thought they were both mice as you were saying that question. But now, you know I what? There is a. It, there was a cartoon with two mice. What wasn't there? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Which cat species is the third largest after the tiger and the lion? Tiger, lion, um, leopard? Jaguar. Jaguar. A female donkey is called a what? A, oh, I don't know. Jenny. Oh, you've already asked me that. I did. I'm the last that. lightning round and I'm, you got it wrong I'm again. I'm reviewing my answers. <laughs> what kind of animals were Rocky and Bullwinkle in the Rocky and Bullwinkle okay. show? One of them, Bullwinkle was a moose. Very good. Rocky was a raccoon? Like Rocky Raccoon in the Beatles song? Flying yeah, squirrel. squirrel. That's right. <laughs> what were the names of the two bears that lived in Jellystone Park? Mm, uh, Yogi. Yogi's one. And Boo-Boo? Uh, Boo-Boo. Like okay. yeah. <laughs> Alpacas are very similar to and often confused with which animals? With mm, llama? Llama is correct. A baby elephant is called what? Baby elephant. Hmm. A. Don't know. Calf. Oh, okay. Who chased the roadrunner in the cartoon? The coyote is after you. 
That's correct. What was the coyote's name? Wild E. Yes, Wild E. Wild E coyote. Name the only mammals that can fly. Flying mammals are bats. That is correct. Yeah. The ragamuffin and ragdoll are breeds of which animal? How about, boy, uh, cats? Domestic cats is correct. I do not know my cat breeds. Don't care much for cat breeds. Well, you got this one right. Which animal's name means river horse in ancient Greek? Oh, river horse. Uh, Don't know. I think I asked you this one before as well. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) So you're not learning from your mistakes. Hippopotamus. Oh, yeah. The name of the tiger who bounces around and is with Winnie the Pooh. Tigger. Tigger's correct. Which type of whale possesses a large tusk from a protruding canine tooth? Narwhal. That's correct. How do you spell narwhal? N-A-R-W-A-L. N-A-R-W-H-A-L. What type of bird is Tweety Bird in the Warner Brothers cartoons? A parakeet. Yellow canary. (laughs) I knew that too. (laughs) No, you didn't. No, I knew that. What was the name of the cat who liked to chase Tweety Bird? Sylvester. That is correct. Sylvester the cat. What is the name of the phobia that involves an abnormal fear of spiders? Arachnophobia. Yep. What food makes up nearly all of a giant panda's diet? Giant pandas eat bamboo. Right. True or false? Giant tortoises can live to well over 100 years. Oh, so true. Yep. What was the name of the dog in the Jetsons? Rastro? Astro. <laughs> Astro. Okay. But I think you're right. He did Rastro. <laughs> what kind of dog was Astro? Oh, no idea. A Great Dane. Another Great Dane. Okay. Okay, I give you a... Better than C+, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, disregarding the fact that you did better on cartoon animals than on real-life animals, B-. B-. You're a tough grader. Okay, thank you for tuning into the show. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Do you know what declawing is? People often mistakenly believe that declawing is a simple procedure that removes a cat's nails. Sadly, this is far from the truth because declawing is actually a painful surgery in which the last bone of each toe is amputated, including skin, tendons, and nerves. If performed on a person, it would be like amputating each finger at the last joint. Besides the immediate risk of surgery, like infection and bleeding, the pain cat's experience continues long after the surgery, preventing them from walking normally and leading to arthritis. Often, after declawing, cats will stop using their litter boxes, choosing carpet, beds, or piles of clothing instead. And without their claws, their first line of defense, many declawed cats will feel stressed and begin biting. Plus, if your cat happens to get outside, she'll need her claws to defend herself from other animals. Most people get their cats declawed to try to prevent unwanted scratching and damage to furniture. But scratching is a natural behavior that is important for cats. Declawed cats cannot stretch or knead normally. Why would anyone want to take that away from a cat? The bottom line is declawed cats can suffer lifelong discomfort and disability. It's not difficult to modify the scratching behaviors of a cat, such as having a few sturdy scratching posts around the house and using toys and catnip to encourage their use. 
Did you know that many countries have banned declawing? And many veterinarians in the U.S. refuse to perform the procedure because it is unnecessary and cruel. So those are the facts about declawing. There's just no reason to do this to your cats. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org.